kiss the sky Smoking on the loud, taught a nigga how to fly And the whip, windows up, high box the car Getting higher than the clouds, chilling with the stars <laughs> Good morning, jesters. Good morning, jestettes. Good morning, fellow jesterians. Good morning, Mr. Pickle. I love you. I miss you. Keep winning the world, man. Hell yeah. But now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to light this J. And we're going to talk about life. We're going to discuss fucking... We're going to discuss fucking... <laughs> we're going to discuss... Ah, life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, life. When does life begin, huh? Truly, I don't think life begins until you're, shit, 20 years old, <laughs> until you're out of school, move out of your home, not living with mommy and dad anymore. That's when your life starts, I feel. When you start making decisions for yourself. I moved out of my parents' house three days after I graduated. I moved in with some high school friends. It was... <coughs> it was me, James Hoyt... <laughs> Bert DeVilger, his sisters, Carrie and Melissa, and I do believe Garrett was living with us for a while. I'm not sure. I, I think, I, if I remember correctly. And that fucking house. That was a party house, man. I did so many fucking drugs. <laughs> I drank so much fucking alcohol. Oh, I was a dumbass little kid. Well, no, I was I was having fun. I wasn't hurting anybody. We were working at the Fairbanks Farms, packing the meat. We were meat packers, goddammit. We'd uh, get fucking high as shit, go to work. We fucking drop asses to go to work. You see, it was work we were working in a fucking giant refrigerator. You know, it was like 36 degrees. That was a good time, man. I started off at one end putting packages of meat in boxes. And then worked my way up the line to run... The portioner. I ran a portioner. I <laughs> I would take one of these huge ass fucking. Uh, it wasn't huge. It was probably a a three by three cart full of ground beef. 
I put that in the machine. The lifter. It lifted. And dump it into the hopper. And bring it out. And then you just watch it. Portion the meat out and go down the line. And through the, you know, where they put it in the package and wrap it and put stickers on it and put it in the boxes. Then there are other days that I ran the uh, the patty machines. Where they'd, uh, you know, they'd make the patties and then flop them down on, the, on a belt. That was probably about, I don't know, a foot and a half long. And you had to scoop them off the belt, put them in the packages. Two, to, two stacks at a time. And then what, put the package on the conveyor belt. Go down the other line. Go down the other line. You know how that shit goes. Fuck yeah. And fuck yeah. <laughs> Memories, man. That was the first year after I graduated high school. Before I even got married. Before I made the big mistake. Well, the biggest mistake, I think, was asking her to marry me. That's... <laughs> That's why I can say I was a dumbass kid. I was a dumbass kid. But what are you going to do? What the fuck are you... You thought you were doing the right thing. Turns out you didn't. You weren't. <laughs> but hey. That's why they say live and learn, man. You learn from your mistakes. You uh, watch out for signs. <coughs> Let me tell you a little bit about Shine On Botanicals. Shine On Botanicals is a family-run hemp farm. They grow the hemp so they can grow the cleanest, purest medicine that they know for their son, who has suffered a traumatic, debilitating brain injury. They make it so he can have access to the purest medicine that they know. And now they want to bring it to you because it's an awesome product. I've been using it for months. We have anything from human tinctures to pet tinctures. The CBD roll-on, it's awesome. CBD tinctures are awesome. I feel 20 years younger with all my creaks and groans gone. It's awesome. To place your orders, email the promoting jester at gmail.com. Tell them what you'd be interested in doing. They'll hook it up for you. They'll send you an invoice and everything will be set. Let's get back to the show. Okay, woo-wee! Did you hear that tapping? There was somebody, some animal tapping. Tap, tap, tapity on my wall, wall, wallity wall. You're fucking stoned. I'm getting there, man. But it's okay, because... Because that's what we do, man. We get high on getting high with the jester. Because... Why the fuck not, man? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Some people say that uh, cannabis smokers are just the, the uh, stereotypical pothead, stoner. They're lazy. They don't have any aspirations. They play video games all day. Well, let me correct that for you. Because that is just a stereotype. Weed motivates me, man. I have to do something. I have to accomplish something beneficial while I'm stoned. Otherwise, I feel it's a wasted high. And I hate being wasteful. 
I mean, shit, I used to get fucking high as shit and just go walk, go do what I had to do, because I didn't have a car, I haven't had a car in years, because I don't, I don't really like driving, after my fucking car accident, I'm not a big fan of the whole driving thing, I will, I have, I do, but I'm just, I'm not, I'd rather walk, at least in decent weather, because it's horrible to lead a sedentary lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You want to uh, stay active, buddy. It's starting to run on me now, so we gotta fix it. We gotta fix it. Garbage men are here. Thank God for the garbage men. They take care of your shit and keep it proper. Oh, where would this world be without garbage men? Hats off to you guys, man. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Now we, what, uh, what we're gonna do now is we're gonna say fuck it. Toss it in the fuck your bucket and move the fuck on, right? What's wrong with you, dude? <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into the UFC. See what kind of bullshit NPR trying to sell us today. What? <laughs> a Facebook whistleblower takes her story to Congress today. Former Facebook employee Frances Haugen says the company prioritized profit over safety. She left the company with documents like a study of how staring at Instagram affects the body image of some girls and memos about the company's approach to political misinformation. Facebook is pushing back. Company vice president. You see, uh, yeah, Facebook should push back because it's not fucking on them to control what the fuck people post on their goddamn website. This goddamn crying little bitch saying, oh, it's gonna hurt people's feelings. Fuck you. Grow some balls, man the fuck up. President Monica Bickert told NPR that the documents do not tell the full story of the company's efforts. The documents that were taken by this employee and the way that they're being portrayed, it just is not an accurate representation of the work that this company does every day to ensure safety on our sites. We're going to get into this with Wall Street Journal reporter Jeff <coughs> Horwitz. He's been covering all this very closely. Also, oh, no, Facebook is an NPR sponsor, but we cover them like any other company. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. All right, so this hearing that Haugen is testifying at today is called Protecting Kids Online. So this is the focus. What did the internal documents show about how teens are using Facebook and Instagram? So there were quite a few of those documents, and what those documents showed is that Facebook's own internal research um, was very clear that Instagram was potentially disastrously bad for the mental health of vulnerable teenage users, in particular teenage girls. And so on oh, body Jesus Christ, you see? Uh, oh, how do I put this? Something is always going to be dangerous for somebody. You can't fucking nerf the world. People have to learn to, how to overcome their fucking problems, man. You got to stop being so goddamn self-centered and start just living your goddamn life. And who the fuck cares what anybody else is doing or what they look like or what they think or what they say? Who the fuck cares? You got to fucking teach that to your goddamn kids. Parenting. Uh, for girls, 
the company found that its own product was actually worse than other social media. Um, it was tended to send people in a very bad direction. And this was from the company itself came to this conclusion, uh, and then and then what they do with that research? Well, they didn't do much with it publicly. They said that their product had only small effects. The research was very unclear, even though internally they kind of sang a very different tune. Um, and they tried to hide likes. That was something that this was a good faith effort to try to reduce the social pressure people felt. Explain that just with one more beat, Jeff. Hide the likes. Yeah, exactly. So on Instagram... Uh, users post photos of themselves with text and, you know, you can kind of measure popularity by how many likes uh, each post gets. And so the idea is that, that the hope was, at least, that if they took away some signifier of popularity, that perhaps that would de-stress the whole experience. Mm -hmm. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. And so I think the place where the company has found itself in is that it actually doesn't have any solutions other than... You see, number one, it's not fucking on... Instagram or Facebook to control what the fuck happens on the shit. Now, they can, yeah, great if they're doing something, fucking awesome. But it's it's, but it's not necessary. It's not. They aren't obligated to do it. You think, or are they? No, they aren't, because it's on the fucking people to make the goddamn decisions for themselves. It. You can't look to be saved. You have to save your goddamn self. That's what this all fucking boils down to. You're looking for a goddamn savior. You want the government to save you. You want Facebook to save you. You want Instagram to save you. To fix your goddamn... No! They aren't going to fix your goddamn... You got to fix your own goddamn problems. Significantly restricting some core features of the product. And obviously it doesn't like that prospect much at all. How else is the company defending itself from allegations of exacerbating social divisions, like using these algorithms that exploit and make worse these divides in our culture? Well, you see, it's, it's, uh, not, company... it's not the algorithm's fault. It's not the algorithm's fault. It's the people's fault. Algorithms go on data. They don't go on feelings. They don't go on emotions. They go on data. So it's the fucking people. They're the fucking problem. Fucking teach goddamn people to fucking be good fucking people and we won't have these goddamn problems. Learn to fucking parent. Teach your fucking kids to be good fucking people. Isn't directly denying uh, the mechanics that we've described in the journal and that... Um... Uh, Ms. Haugen has is describing in her testimony. I think, you know, the, the interesting thing about that quote you read at the beginning is that, uh, from Monica Bickert, is that it says it misrepresents the work not that they're doing, not necessarily that it misrepresents the findings of Facebook's own research. Um, we've seen Facebook, uh, you know, have to navigate big controversies like this before. Is this different? Um, I think something that is pretty remarkable about uh, Ms. Haugen is that she did as thorough of a job documenting what's inside the company. And so, you know, while there have been many controversies around Facebook, whether it's, uh, you know, perhaps good for mental health. Again, this fucking bitch has a, vend a vendetta against her employer. So I'm sure she doesn't, well, I'm sure she did go through all the evidence 
But I guarantee you she didn't bring it all to the courts. She only, I'm sure, I, I have no proof for this, but it's just fucking human nature. I, I'm almost 99% sure she cherry-picked shit to fucking make her case look 100%. I promise you that's what the fuck happened. Whether it, uh, it makes people angry, this is someone who has brought forth Facebook's own understanding of itself, and it's mm. pretty grim. Jeff Horwitz with The Wall Street Journal, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Let me tell you about ToTheCloudVaporStore.com. That's where I got this lovely vaporizer that you're hearing in the background. Go check out ToTheCloudVaporStore.com and check out all the toys that they have on there. It's an amazing site. And at checkout, use code JESTER to save 15% on your order. Now, let's get back to the show. now going to dive a little deeper into another trove of leaked documents this time though we're talking about financial records called the pandora papers the nearly 12 million documents were reviewed by multiple news organizations they showed how the rich and powerful hide their wealth in tax shelters and offshore accounts and for the global elites of some countries the offshore tax haven is the united states more than a dozen U.S. states are hospitable to them, including South Dakota. Which is where we find reporter Lee Strubinger. He is South Dakota Public Broadcasting's politics and public policy reporter in Rapid City. Thanks for being here, Lee. Yeah, you bet. All right, so in the movies, the bad guys are always hiding their money in secret bank accounts in Switzerland or places like the Cayman Islands. Now we can add South Dakota to this list. Tell us more. Yeah, so the uh, I guess the important thing to emphasize is that um, this is something that's been going on here uh, for quite some time. There were major steps taken in both the 80s and 90s that established the state as a place that's very friendly to banking and the trust industry, which has really only grown since then. Um, first, South Dakota became one of the states to remove the rule against activities, which means here people in a states can go figure. Assets a fucking state government that's uh, run by the goddamn 90s, banks. Governor Bill Jacob established a task force to make trust law more favorable. system is run by the fucking the banks. Go fuck yourself. task force still meets to this day and is made up of members from the trust industry, uh, including estate lawyers and bankers, etc. So this task force is still operating, operating today. What kind of say do state lawmakers have in it? Yeah, so every year the state legislature votes on a kind of maintenance bill. It's, it's really focused to make sure that South Dakota is a state that's favorable for wealthy people to keep their money in. Um, however, these bills are long and complex and often involve amending current state law which is also complex to understand um, because South Dakota has essentially a part-time citizen legislature. Yeah. It relies on experts like those in the trust fund task force to help oh, them with these complex on. topics. I, I don't know nothing uh, about goddamn trust funds. Of the and... committee when these bills come up say they don't entirely understand what they're voting on. Uh, here's Sioux Falls state representative Republican Doug Barthel earlier this year. Well, I wish I understood all this like a lot of our experts do, but I don't. But this is the fourth year in a row that I've dealt with this. And I was told on year one by former representative. So you see, you see what the fuck's going on? A goddamn representative of the goddamn state doesn't know what the fuck is going on. But the experts know. Who the fuck are the experts? The people who work for the banks? The people who are fucking getting over on everybody else? By getting... They're giving these fucking politicians money for fucking... Mm, yeah, this, 
See, it's, it's for corruption, man. It's fucking corruption. Fucking, oh, it's, hmm. Motherfucker, man. Motherfucker. And of lust that he said, trust me on the trust. Uh, this bill that Barthel is talking about, it sailed through the legislature and was signed by the governor with little to no question. I'm sure. Trust me on the trust. Okay, so what has the reaction been in the state since the Pandora Papers were released? Uh, it's been mixed. Um, you know, critics of the state's trust industry say lawyers on the task force really have their message down, and lawmakers don't question the details. Uh, I spoke with former Democratic state lawmaker Susan Wismer yesterday, who described it like waving a magic wand. Even. Again, because they don't know what the fuck they're signing, they just sign it. <laughs> 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 God damn. Though the legislators do not have a clue what it is they're really voting on, other than that these attorneys that deal with big money are telling them that it's good for South Dakota's economy to do this. And like Wismer says, lawmakers see this as an issue about the economy. Uh, South Dakota for decades has tried to be as friendly to the banking industry as, as it possibly can. Yeah, Mr. because they're making money off that shit. Broadcasting. We appreciate your reporting and context on this. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. All right, how complicit were some of the nation's biggest pharmacy chains in the opioid crisis? That's a question before... Oh, Jesus Cleveland Christ. This week. Two Ohio counties accuse CVS, Giant Eagle, Walgreens, and Walmart of selling pain pills recklessly. The suit claims the pharmacies helped to create a black market for OxyContin and other drugs, although the companies deny wrongdoing. We're joined now by our addiction correspondent, Brian Mann, who is in Cleveland. Just a note here as well, Walgreens and the Walton Family Foundation, created by the founders of Walmart, are also NPR financial supporters. Brian, thanks for being here. Good morning, Rachel. So these companies, these pharmacies, marked themselves as a trusted part of the American healthcare system, right? But you heard a very different story yesterday in the courtroom. Tell us what they're accused of doing. Yeah, one reason so many companies involved in the opioid business have settled cases like this one, Rachel, is that they don't want to go through weeks of embarrassment. <sighs> what? What? It's just more pointing fingers. More pointing fingers. When the whole thing started, because we were in Afghanistan. Easy access to opium. But now I'm sure we got a pipeline set up to Afghanistan for the opium. For the heroin. It is what it is. Man, I'm high as shit. But I don't fucking smoke opium. I have. I have smoked opium. And it's uh it's an it, it's interesting. It tastes nice. But other than that <laughs> I was uh, you know what we'll we'll go on to that story later. Let's go back seeing revelations in court and you could really see why yesterday uh, mark lanier an attorney representing two ohio counties at the center of this case he told the jury these pharmacy chains were so irresponsible with their opioid dispensing that drug dealers were able to use their outlets to build this black market pipeline of prescription pills a pipeline that stretched from florida all the way here to ohio hmm. so what did the company say in their defense at this point 
We've heard so far from Casper Stoffelmeyer, he's lead attorney for Walgreens, and he pushed back hard. He told the jury this portrait of Walgreens handling opioids carelessly doesn't match the reality. He said pharmacists at their chain tried to be cautious with these highly addictive pills, and, and Stoffelmeyer laid out an argument we expect to hear more from the other pharmacy chains in the days ahead. I don't believe the it. Real They're looking for, for the money. Opioid epidemic lies it doesn't matter. Elsewhere, you know, with doctors who prescribe <laughs> pills, <laughs> makers who lied about the <laughs> and government regulators. Who didn't crack down <laughs> <laughs> because <clears throat> fucking I just realized what the fuck the pharmacy can't they aren't just selling fucking pills the pharmacy gives the pills that the fucking doctor prescribes man what the fuck are you talking about this <laughs> This makes zero fucking sense. Have you ever walked into a pharmacy and be like, hey, give me some pills. We need a doctor's prescription. No, you don't. Okay, how many you want? It doesn't fucking happen. Unless the people are already crooked. And then that's not on Walgreens, man. Maybe it is some of them. Who knows? Who the fuck knows what really is going on, man? Uh, but... You can't hold fucking any of the pharmacies responsible because they only give the pills out that the doctors fucking prescribe. That's how it's fucking set up. Enough. But I have to say, you know, attorneys for these companies do not have an easy job ahead. They're going to have to convince these local jurors that it made sense for pharmacy chains to dispense millions of these opioid pills every year in their... If the doctor prescribes it... It's not on them, you dumb pieces of shit. Community at a time when addiction and overdose deaths just kept rising. And we should just point out, I mean, th there's a reason this is happening in Ohio, right? Like, o Ohio has just been the epicenter of so much of the crisis. Oh, really, really hard. So remind us what's at stake in the overall case, Brian. Well, there is a lot of money on the line, uh, as well as these companies. Yeah, but who's going to get that money? In Cleveland is widely seen as a test case. It'll help establish what, if any, liability these corporations bear for the opioid crisis, not just here, but all over the country. If this jury says these companies are on the hook and should pay to help solve this crisis, it could eventually cost these firms billions. And that's maybe bullshit. Tens they, of billions they just of want fucking money. That's you all know, it is. They equation, just want Rachel, fucking money. money. This is also life and death stuff. The doctors prescribe medication. Where do you go to get this medication? You go to the fucking pharmacy. Where the fuck else are you supposed to go to get these? So now they're blaming the fucking pharmacies for doing what they're fucking put on this goddamn planet for? What the fuck is going on in this goddamn world? Are people fucking stupid? What the fuck, man? Here's why. Experts Tell me why you goddamn that stupid money would likely go to pay for drug treatment programs and addiction counseling. Would most which likely desperately needed right now as drug overdose. Who the fuck knows where this goddamn money goes? Rising faster than ever. Oh, right, this is not over. Brian Mann is in Cleveland for the first ever federal opioid trial focusing on big pharmacy chains. Brian, as always, thank you so much for your reporting. Thank you. <laughs> and that is the UFC for October 5th, 2021.
71 degrees and cloudy. A beautiful little store down in the heart of Lakewood, New York at 50 Chautauqua Avenue. Or you can find them at 710andcloudy.com where they have smoking deals on your smoking accessories. They have glass, they have smell good, they have dab rigs, posters, they have apparel, they have everything. Get your sessions with the Jester shirts there. It's an awesome little store. Make sure you use code SWED10 at checkout. Save 10% off your order. Now let's get back to the show. If you have a news story that you'd like to submit to Getting High with the Jester, go to anchor.fm forward slash N-O-R-R-O-D and leave a message. I will give you $5 worth of free advice on that news story. Let's get back to the show. These motherfuckers, man. These motherfuckers. <laughs> Whew, man, I rolled two of these this morning. Two huge motherfuckers. But you see, I'm rolling uh, like a buddy of mine. He uh, dropped a plant the other day. And he, he bought a bag this year to trim, a trimming bag. All you got to do is shake it, and it trims the buds. He's given me the, uh, the, the trimmings. You know, it's got little buds in it, and it's got a whole bunch of fucking keef. You know, it's all sugar leaf. So I roll up two of these fucking huge crannies here, and I'm about two-thirds of the way through the second and woo-wee motherfucker my dude <laughs> I'm high as shit but uh let's get back to these motherfuckers I'm gonna put this I'm gonna turn this off for now and I'm gonna like this bogey And then, these motherfuckers right here. Let me tell you. First story, Facebook. And how Facebook is a monster. Instagram is a monster. Because it might help. It might influence how little girls think. Well, then don't let your fucking little girls on the goddamn Instagram or on the goddamn Facebook. You know what? I, I watched this show on the Discovery Channel. Uh, Bush people. I don't know. The Alaskan Bush people or whatever. The Browns. You know, they're weird fuckers, yes. But they're out in the fucking nature, man. They're weird fuckers, yes. But... They're good fucking people. They're honest fucking hard-working fucking people, man. We need more people like that in this world. I mean... Why, why do you want your fucking daughters to be influenced by these fuckers on Instagram or these fuckers on Facebook? Fucking be a goddamn parent, man. Jeez. Well, okay, okay. 
Why? And now I'm an asshole because I'm trying to tell you. I, who the fuck am I to tell you what the fuck to do? Fuck me. Dude, live your fucking life, man. Do whatever the fuck. But I'm just, I'm trying to come up with goddamn solutions to make this world a better fucking place. And if you're raising all these goddamn kids up to be disrespectful little cunts to their fucking, to everybody, then what the fuck is this world going to come to, man? What the fuck is this world going to come to? More division of the classes, man. Because the wealthy, they teach their, or somehow, they might not teach them, but they have people teach them ways to act. Poor people don't teach it. They just let them run free. Like fucking wild, feral animals. They let Facebook and Instagram watch the liberate their kids. That's the fucking problem right there. <sighs> now, moving on. The second story was the Pandora... Yeah, the Pandora Papers. In North Dakota is a tax haven... For the wealthy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> any place is a goddamn tax haven for the wealthy in the U.S. Because we're fucking corrupt. <clears throat> if you have money, you can do whatever the fuck you want in this goddamn country. Because this country's goddamn corrupt. Next. Oh my god, yes, the final story was, wow. What the fuck is this world coming to, man? Now, the fucking, whoever the fuck is going after all these goddamn, whoever's doing it, the opioid crisis, they're, they're going after the fucking pharmacies now. Because they were dispensing the pills. They couldn't dispense the pills if the doctor didn't order the pills. So how the fuck are you going to tell somebody who comes in with a goddamn prescription, no, I'm not going to give you your goddamn pills. How the fuck is that going to work? You motherfucking idiots. What the fuck is this world even fucking thinking? It's like you're going to fucking sue the gas station. A kid... Goes, buys gas. Uses that gas to set a house on, light a house on fire. You're going to fucking sue the goddamn gas station? I mean, it's, just, it's the same goddamn thing. Oh, my God. I mean, what the fuck? I mean, are, is everybody an idiot in this fucking world? Or maybe I'm the idiot because I don't fucking understand. How the fuck are you going to blame the goddamn pharmacies for doing their fucking job? What they're fucking there for, man? It's fucking ridiculous. And people need to fucking wisen up and start looking what the fuck's happening to this goddamn world. Jesus. You fucking idiots. Meh, meh, meh. <laughs> Uh, but what we can do now is we can check in with Mr. Ben. Let's see what space weather is going to be for October 5th, 2021. Good morning, Mr. Ben. Good morning, 
folks. Today we've got space weather, eye candy, a climate goof with a PhD, and a double dose of catastrophism at the end. Two key processes from the ongoing disaster confirmed. But we begin at spaceweathernews.com, and we find the last 24 hours on our star were mostly quiet. Minor coronal motions as filaments get situated and jock with the active regions for breathing room in the corona. We've had no significant flares, and the solar wind is dropping back to very calm range this morning, along with geomagnetism. We expect that to end over the coming days, as the northern coronal hole is not going to miss our planet with its solar wind, as well as a chance for minor stream catches from smaller openings in the next three days. Meanwhile, the active region crossing the north is decayed, as you see top right. South is pretty blank, and incoming up top, we find a large, lonely umbra. While it's by itself at the moment, its trailing surface magnetism wants to produce. We'll have eyes on that one today as well. Let's get some visuals here from Goddard SVS with the Active Fires animation for the year to date so far. They always give us this one in October when the pressure setup has the western U.S. under higher risk, especially the Pacific Coast. It's always good to come back in January and get the full year's video. But soon enough, winter will be here and we're on to a climate scientist who is quite confused. It's easy to tell this was meant to shill for the propaganda paradigm, but the entire work is riddled with the sort of thing you find in sentence number one. Northern autumns and winters are getting hotter. Well, no. Because while the spring snow cover is dropping over time, both fall and winter snow totals in the northern hemisphere are rising. Those are the ones the author clearly specified. But hey, nature, most people don't check data, so go ahead and publish whatever. Up next is Pluto, and of course its atmosphere collapse has been one of the stories of the decade, especially in terms of the other planets changing, showing even scarier changes than the Earth is so far. A couple of weeks ago, a team out of Iran claimed that the 2020 look at the atmosphere appeared to show no signs of it losing that 20% in just a few years. But it was a different method, and last night, Sweary came out and confirmed the drop of Pluto. This confirmation of something terrible comes with a companion paper showing how the surface chemistry is changing, only enough to account for the northern summer solstice, and not a freezing out of the atmosphere. This pushes towards the idea that it was lost another way, in a catastrophe. But before we leave the Iranian team in the dust, I want to toss something out there. Pluto's atmosphere shouldn't stay depleted for long if it was the disaster event. Turning an Earth into a Mars isn't a 12,000-year cycle event. It's a much longer process. And just like the Earth would be expected to outgas and replenish the atmosphere after a solar blast ripped away part of it, the same outgassing could provide the same replenishment process at Pluto, which might leave this team, which looked later, with the first observation of that recovery. Now, from confirming Pluto to the accretion boom scenario, not that we need yet another way to show how the encounter triggers reactions at the stellar and even galactic level, but today we've got two papers on the coronal rain and what it can do, and it shouldn't shock any observer that it can further trigger stellar eruptions. Companion papers from this team hitting two major journals this week, breaking down what's likely the smallest scale example we know of that concept, where if you dump material down through the atmosphere of a star, it's going to react. The biggest versions of this, of course, are the galactic core flaring outburst when it eats a star, or the type 1a supernova with binary stars. The practical example of the extra gas and dust and plasma coming with the galactic current sheet at the same time as the sun takes the galactic magnetic reversal is what we're worried about on this planet. They're spaced 12,000 years apart, last one about 12,000 years ago. 
We greatly appreciate your support. We've got wind maps and shots of our star to close. Subscribe, and we'll do this all again tomorrow. Right here, but right now at 6 a.m. in the new Valley of the Sun. Eyes open. No fear. Be safe, everyone. Good shit, Mr. Ben. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> Remember to subscribe to Suspicious Observers on YouTube. Get full impact of his videos. And get up to date on the 12,000 year disaster cycle. Absolutely. Shout out, Benham, shout out, Benham, to the Good News Network. For the quote of the day. Blissipline is a commitment to experiencing a little or a lot of bliss every day. The practice of expanding one's capacity for bliss and being open to receive it in any moment. Rana Satori Stewart. Blissipline. Have blissipline. Expect to experience bliss at least once a day. Don't spend your day being miserable. Be happy. Be blissful. Practice blissipline. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> so be a better version of yourself. Smoke weed every day. It makes it happen.